values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. And don't forget, coming up at 11.20, we have Did You Hear This? We do it every day at 11.20 on the show to catch you up on the biggest news stories and headlines of the day. So that's right around the corner, about 15 minutes from right now. Um, Now I want to talk about water. It's a big issue in Arizona. Um, I've laughed in the past when I talked about it because, to me, it is very interesting, and it always has been. Um, I remember years ago having conversations with Senator John Kyle when he was in the United States Senate. He was the junior senator uh, from Arizona along with the senior Senator John McCain. And uh, Senator Kyle was very well respected, still is very well respected on both sides of the political aisle, although keeping a very, very conservative point of view. He was able to walk that line. He's a brilliant attorney, thought of as one of the most learned people on the United States Constitution. But on behalf of Arizona, one of his biggest accomplishments was what he did for water rights in Arizona. And I remember talking with him about this years and years ago because Arizona is a desert and we're growing like crazy. And are we going to have the water we need? And now we've come to a place where we're seeing um, big concerns because of the droughts in the desert southwest. Uh, Lake Mead, if, uh, if you go by Lake Mead, the dramatic drop in levels there. And now water restrictions being triggered as part of the Central Arizona Project and some, and some of the agreements that were made with water rights between you know the southwestern United States. And Arizona is one of the first that takes cuts. But what Arizona did as a state, and this is a credit to our state legislature, it is a credit to our federal representation. What they did in Arizona is we have spent a lot of time and a lot of money, a lot of our resources on storage of rainwater because we don't get a whole lot of it. So storing water underground, we have a system that really manages water well out of necessity as a, as a uh, in a desert. Interestingly enough, and I, I kind of ranted about this earlier on the show at, at a little after nine, that California is known as the – um, I would say they are known as an environmentalist haven, right? Uh, an environmentalist mecca out in California that the environmentalists and the the uh, climate change activists and the people that are really concerned about the planet and the future live in California, not so much in Arizona. We have done a much better job than almost everywhere else, but it's interesting to read headlines of stories that go all the way back to 2015 and well before that. I only did a search for about 10 minutes this morning getting ready to talk about this, that California has been getting advice from private organizations and experts when it comes to water on that they should be finding better ways to store their rainwater. This goes back years and they're just not doing it right. So now they have had uh, – and this is the only silver lining in this horrible thing that happened to California. Those storms that pummeled California recently, causing floods and damage, um, it is not going to be the relief of the entire drought that we've been feeling in the desert southwest. But an opportunity, if you think in Arizona when we have these rains, we had a wet monsoon. And when we talked about it in Arizona, we had a wet monsoon season here that we have the capability of storing that water. It didn't solve our problems, but what it did was help a little bit. Now imagine if we didn't have the means to store that water. We have a rainy season during a drought. Water has nowhere to go to be stored underground, and we just lose it. It, It's gone in that sense for drinking water and other purposes. Uh, California, the stories written in 19 and others, to one in 2022, one in 2023, talking about how the majority of the rainwater in California still just goes into the ocean, and it's lost. 
And I keep thinking for a place that brags about being the environmentalists, that they love the planet and they want to save the planet, they just didn't feel the need. We are going to get punished and we are the ones that are doing things the right way. You know, every little thing that we can do to help, and I, again, I laugh about this, that I'm not, I don't buy into the climate change activism. Man-made climate change is not my thing. I, you know, the world or the climate changes, it absolutely does. Should we be good stewards of our planet? If the message from the climate change activists were, we should be the best stewards of the planet we could be, I'd join them. I would join them. The idea that it's man-made and we're killing the planet and we're horrible and it's our fault and there's too many people, I don't buy into that. But instead of us having these political arguments, we all agree that we should be good stewards of our planet. Uh, I, you know, again, I didn't plant winter grass. Uh, the city of Phoenix had a little push on saying, hey, listen, let's let's not plant winter grass. You got to keep it wet while it's growing, which means two or three weeks of of constant watering. So, you know, why? So I didn't. I didn't. I let my grass die. Um, and that's, you know, it's not much of a sacrifice. I'm, I'm being honest. It's just I thought it was the right thing to do. Um, I try to do everything I can to be a good steward of the planet where I live. We're looking at California that has missed the boat, um, no pun intended, on trying to store their rainwater underground and otherwise. We are going to pay a price. The low levels of water, we see restrictions before California does. There are emails, and it's a story you can read at KTAR.com, and I hope you'll go there, talking about there are emails that show the tension over what's going to happen as the federal government is going to intervene if agreements aren't made and where the restrictions will come. Uh, hearing about the people, the farmers and the ranchers in Pinal County are going to suffer by not having water for crops. What are they going to do? You know, if you, if you can't farm and you're a farmer, what do you do? Here we are. This is the world we live in. We have a food shortage nationwide, and we've seen the price of the necessities that we eat go up. A great deal because of a food shortage. We know that the wheat shortage is caused in great uh, deal. Part of it is because of what's going on between the war in Ukraine and Russia. And so much of our wheat in the world comes from that part of the world. But we also have a food shortage. Food is very expensive. Uh, went to the grocery store yesterday. My mother is in town. Went to the grocery store with my mother. And she almost fainted when the grocery bill was tallied up and how much money we spent on groceries. It's expensive. And here we are punishing the farmers that could alleviate some of that because of water restrictions because of what's happening with the drought in the desert southwest. Why aren't we – and I mean this – this isn't just a rhetorical question. Why why hasn't the federal government looked at this long ago and especially the state of California? Arizona did not have a mandate from the federal government to store rainwater underground or come up with a system to better manage our water. We did it because we saw we live in a desert. We are growing. And to ensure our water for the foreseeable future, we need to do something to manage that water. And we have. We've spent the money as a state. We've invested in making this happen. California has not. And California will not suffer like we will as part of this agreement that had to be made years ago. you got to live up to the agreement you've made. But it is a lesson to be learned. And will they learn their lesson? Because the headlines are still talking about them. Hey, let's come up with a plan to start storing our rainwater. You are so far behind the curve. Why isn't this a bigger national story?
from the environmentalist capital of the United States, California, and they're doing a much a poor job compared to Arizona. All right, in a moment, it's will be 1120, and we'll do something we call Did You Hear This to catch you up on the biggest news stories of the day. Stick around. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Busy, busy news day. Let's get you caught up. Did you hear this? Did you hear this? Broomhead's reaction to the hottest news stories. Washington lawmakers are joining in the nationwide conversation of police reform after the release of the Tyree Nichols arrest video. But passing any legislation could be an uphill battle. We have heard from some Republicans, Jim Jordan, the chair of the House Judiciary Committee, who called what he saw in the Tyree Nichols video, quote, evil. He said there are things he believes lawmakers can do, but he acknowledged that there are big areas of disagreement here between Democrats and Republicans. Do we need new laws to make sure this doesn't happen again? See, this is what concerns me is the federal government. Getting in. I am someone that believes in states' rights and local control. Um, you've heard what everybody has said in Memphis that's associated with this. And by the way, it's not a partisan issue. Everybody involved in this in Memphis, from the police chief to the members of the city council and everybody else are on the Democratic side of the aisle. This isn't about Democrats and Republicans. This is about horrible behavior by people that need to be held accountable and punished. But I believe in local control. I think that the state governments need to do things to police their states, no pun intended, that the Bringing in federal laws, you mean to tell me that the issues, except for the basics, the issues in policing are the same in Spokane, Washington, as they are in Butte, Montana, as they are in Phoenix, Arizona. I think that the states need to do a better job of how they do things. If you look at AZ Post and how they certify officers in Arizona, you look at what's happening at the Phoenix Police Department when they're dealing with the Department of Justice investigation, the sheriff's offices as well. Doing things to have accountability is necessary at the local level. I'm not sure that anything done by the federal government can help this problem nationwide. A new global analysis study in the Nature Human Behavior Journal explains just how much the COVID-19 pandemic affected students' learning. Globally, the COVID-19 pandemic has left students with a deficit of about one-third of a year's worth of learning. The change was observed between May of 2020 and August of 2022. Notably, math was more impacted than reading skills. The deficit observed across primary and secondary education levels. Will these impacted students ever regain what they lost? That's the scary thing is we don't know if they will or they won't. That's why we need to redouble our efforts in making sure the basics are being taught and students get caught up. You have tutors that are available. I think the summer camp program that the former Governor Ducey put in place was a big help. I think they should continue those programs as a voluntary kind of summer school for kids that want to get caught up and for the parents that want them to get caught up in a different kind of environment. I think it's ingenious. I think it's uh, it, it's just a different approach. And anything we can do to impress upon young people that these basic skills are necessary necessary for life makes us all better. You are listening to Did You Hear This? We do it every day at this time to catch you up on the biggest headlines. Department of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas spoke at the Little Haiti Cultural Center about wanting to create programs that allow safe and orderly entry into the United States. We are committed to disincentivizing individuals from taking irregular paths that only lead to tragedy and to the loss of life that we have seen all too often. Are these initiatives enough? 
We don't know. Again, I want to see if we've maintained this drop in levels of people coming. Once again, the enforcement that people have been asking for for a couple of years has finally happened. You can say too little, too late. I don't believe it's ever too late. It is maybe too little. We'll find out. But at least we're moving in the right direction of enforcement of existing laws. Once we can have secure the border, once we have control of the border, so to speak, then we can talk about the laws that are put in place to have easier passage for people in need. But none of it matters without our laws in place that work and laws in place that are enforced. It's got to start with border security. Hopefully we're getting a little bit of that with the new policies of the White House. Let's see what next month brings us. The Super Bowl matchup has been set between the Philadelphia Eagles and the Kansas City Chiefs, and one family may have a difficult time knowing who to root for. One of Kansas City's most valuable offensive players is tight end Travis Kelsey. One of Philadelphia's is center Jason Kelsey, Travis's older brother. They'll have family bragging rights on the line in the Super Bowl because each has won the game once before. How hard will it be for the Kelsey's parents to watch this game? I cannot think of a bigger nightmare for a family. I just can't. This is the dream of anybody that's ever played the game of football is to compete in the Super Bowl and win one. And thankfully, they've each won a Super Bowl, so they have a ring. But now they've got to play each other. And um, it, 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 I can't think of a worse thing for a sports family to have to endure. I'm glad they're both in the Super Bowl. They're fun guys to watch. They do a podcast together that's hilarious. But man, they're going to compete. I think it was uh, I think it was the the Kelsey that's the center for the uh, Philadelphia Eagles said I'm officially no longer a Chiefs fan as of today, and that's just the way it's got to be. Now you're just trying to win. But man, I wouldn't want to be one of those parents. You know they're going to show up in the jerseys where it's half one and half the other, and uh, and that's the way they're going to be. They're going to cheer for each team to do well and hope the whole thing ends in a tie. It's terrible. I feel bad for them. Great job, Julia. And I will say this. I said this earlier when talking about the Super Bowl. Um, there cannot be anybody that is a fan of sports today that feels like a bigger idiot than the mayor of Cincinnati. The mayor of Cincinnati all week long was trash talking the Kansas City Chiefs. He said that they, their quarterback's name is Joe Burrow. He said publicly maybe they should change the name of the stadium to Burrowhead Stadium instead of Arrowhead Stadium. He said maybe they should do a DNA test to see if Joe Burrow isn't Patrick Mahomes' dad, father, because he's beaten him three times in a row. And after the game, it was all they could talk about. It was all the reporters asked about. It was all the Chiefs players talked about. That bulletin board material of disrespect, it does wonders for a team, man. It elevates your game when you feel disrespected. As a matter of fact, Travis Kelsey, who we were just talking about, the tight end for the Chiefs, during the Patrick Mahomes interview on national television, took the microphone and said, I've got a message for the mayor of Cincinnati, Ohio, and he called him a name, and I can't remember what it was. He said, know your role, shut your mouth, you jabroni, in true fashion like the rock. It was fantastic for the Chiefs, but if I were a Bengals player, I I can't even imagine that this mayor is going to have a political career anymore. As dumb as that sounds, after that statement, there you know they're going to blame him for a lot of this, and I'm anxious to see what happens, but he's got to feel like a fool. Coming up in a moment, we are going to go back to the economy. Last week, the story said that Phoenix is one of four markets in the country that they expect to see a deep decline in property value and home values. There are now national experts pushing back against that, saying not so fast. We'll let you hear more about it next. 
strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much for being here. There is a, a lot of news out there about the economy and predictions of what's going to happen in the future, indications that we are going to see a recession. But one of the stories that surprised me last week, and I talked about it a few times, is that uh, Goldman, uh, Goldman Sachs, which is a very reputable company, made a prediction that four markets in the country would see deep drops in real estate value. And one of those four was the Phoenix metro area, two in California, one in Texas and Phoenix, Arizona. And I just I disagreed with it just based on what I see. And it was it's not it's not like I have rose colored glasses on. It's just based on what I see in Arizona with demand for real estate. We have seen a softening of the market. Um, if you remember what it was like before the crash of 08, it was different. The bubble was different then. Uh, money was cheap. They had these things called stated income loans, which were incredibly uh, inaccurate. And it was what I'm. And for those of you that don't know what they are, I, I think everybody does by now. But a stated income loan was you didn't have to prove anything. You know, when I bought, I bought a house in October. I had to show them everything. I had to give them pay stubs. I had to give them tax documents. I had to, you know, everything. They knew everything about what was going on and bills I was paying. They wanted proof of all kinds of stuff to make sure that I have enough money to make the house payment. That's that's what it is. That's what their job is. Well, during the time of stated income loans, you just wrote down what you wanted. It's like, how much money do you earn? It's like when you get a credit card, when you apply for a credit card, it'll say, what is your household income per month or annually? And you fill in the number. I've never had a credit card company come back to me and want proof. I've never had them ask me for a pay stub. Now, they may not be extending a huge credit limit to you when that happens, but I've never had them ask for verification when I tell them how much money I made. That's stated income. They were giving mortgages out like that on stated income loans. So you had people that were saying they made money that they probably didn't make. And then when the real estate market started getting inflated, if there were people from California that were coming here and they were buying homes for cash because the real estate value here was we were what at about 35 or 40 percent of what it was in California, maybe 50 percent of the value. Um, So people were coming here and paying cash for homes. And all of a sudden, our real estate market just went through. The roof, and it was a balloon. And when that balloon burst, we saw what 100,000 foreclosures going on at one time here in Arizona, and property values dropped dramatically. And then we built back up and we came back from it. And the prediction that we were going to see or are going to see a 25% drop in property value, and that's what Goldman Sachs is saying, is being pushed back against. Great story in Axios, Axios Phoenix. In which people here locally are pushing back on this. Um, some of the experts are saying this is uh, Butch Lieber, who is with the Phoenix Realtors. He's the president, said this is not the reality of what's going on and not what anybody else expects to happen this year. He talked about everything I just talked about in this, um, said the median home price right now in Phoenix is four hundred and ten thousand um, dollars. It peaked in May at four seventy. So we've seen a drop there, but they don't expect this to happen uh, to to go down. They said the median home price in Phoenix increased almost 60% from 300000 in March of 2020 to uh, its peak in May. That is a huge price increase in just a very short mo- amount of time. So we are seeing a little bit of the uh, where people were, were uh, bidding on homes and they were bidding at tens of thousands of dollars over asking price. We're not seeing that anymore, but we are still seeing a strong market. He talked about how many homes. Uh, he said the third week of January, 
saw 1,800 new escrow transactions in the Valley. That's the highest of any week since June of 2022, which takes us back to the heated time that things were going on, um, you know, uh, six months ago, a little over six months ago. So they're not predicting this. And again, I'm not giving financial advice. I will never give financial advice. But this is what my eyes saw. When I looked at the real estate market, I bought a home in October. As I said, it was it was a little, it was past the big rush, but it was before any kind of a significant drop off in property values. I wasn't worried. I wasn't worried that the the price of this home I was buying was going to fall through the floor. Um, and people are adjusting to the interest rates now. We are not going to see, at least I don't think we're going to see interest rates at three percent anytime soon again. Six percent. I bought a home five years ago, and I think the rate. I paid when I bought the home was close to 6%. Didn't bother me one bit. Not one bit. And then a couple of years later, when the interest rates plummeted down to about three, I refinanced my house at three. Then when you pay 6% when you buy a house again, you're like, oh my gosh, look at what I'm paying in interest rate. Compare it to the 1970s. Um, I'm not trying to put rose-colored glasses on anything. I'm trying to say that what's happened in Arizona, whether it's the people that helped with from the Arizona Chamber of Commerce – to the state legislature, to our previous governor that had an intentional plan of drawing in industry here with higher paying jobs. It drives up property value. It drives up wages. It drives up demand for employees. And all of that's happened in Arizona. And I don't see it uh, diminishing. It looks like it's going to continue that way. And, you know, we talked about the construction industry earlier today or or last week, I should say, late last week with the Build Your Future Arizona people who are trying to entice people into the construction industry. And they talked about the chip plant that's being built in the Northwest Valley, 10,000 construction jobs on that one project. Now, you mirror that with another huge chip project that Intel is doing in the Southeast Valley. And you look at that and same thing, thousands of construction jobs on one job site. Cranes, as far as the eye can see, you look at the apartment complex and multifamily neighborhoods that are being built uh, around the, the valley, construction is still in high demand and nobody is predicting that it's slowing down. Everybody is still predicting we're going to need a couple of hundred thousand more people in the trades to keep the system afloat. So when you look at it that way, why would someone predict that our real estate market was going to go drop dramatically? Now, I, again, they are much smarter than I am at Goldman Sachs, but um, it, I'm glad to see that locally people are thinking, and we there were people on the, the uh, KTAR News talked to some local economists that all agreed that we may see a pullback, that we are seeing some kind of a correction because of this extreme high everything was at. But nobody that's here that's an economist sees this dramatic drop like we saw in 08 and a crash in the real estate market. And I think the reason why it was smart of them to shout it from the rooftops is because perception is reality. If people perceive a crash is coming, they wait. They stop. They're afraid. They want to sell now. They don't want to buy. They want to wait until that crash happens and then buy. And and if that's not coming, you're going to see people wait too long. And what I mean by that is interest rates maybe tick up a little bit more in the coming days. Um, home prices are going to continue to rise, and people are going to wish they had gotten in when they did. That's my feeling. I'm not giving advice. And so I'm glad economists are speaking out about this because we want reality to be reality, not just some scare, scary perception. 
What we're going to do before we check out is uh, we're going to talk about schools. I had an interesting conversation with a state senator about schools, but I want to talk specifically about what some of the issues are in public schools from there. And I happen to hold some of the same positions and what can be done to right the ship. We'll do that coming up in a few moments. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Uh, Senator Jake Hoffman joined me, State Senator Jake Hoffman. He is the chairman of the Freedom Caucus in the Arizona State Legislature. And as he said, they make up about a third of all Republicans in that body, in both the House and the Senate. And it takes a two-thirds majority of both the House and the Senate in order to override what a ballot initiative has passed. And speaking specifically of the aggregate expenditure limit that limits the amount of money that can be spent for education, we have hit against that limit again this year like we did last year, which means that two-thirds majority is necessary for them to be able to spend about $1.2 million, billion dollars, I'm sorry, billion dollars of what's been allocated for education this year in the state budget. <clears throat> so, Senator Hoffman and I were talking about it this morning because leadership has been saying that they believe that this is going to get done. As a matter of fact, Speaker Toma said that he believed it would happen sooner rather than later. A uh, press release from the Freedom Caucus said, not so fast. We want to see some reforms. Now, there was transparency reforms. He said, open the books. But I want you to hear about the when he talked about financial accountability reforms. This is Senator Hoffman. We want dollars to flow to the classroom first. This is something we hear repeatedly down at the Capitol from parents all across the state. If they want to make sure that when we give money to local school districts, that it's actually getting to the classroom. And Sadly, we're not seeing that happen like it should. And so we want to do things that support not only students, not only the families that send their students there, but also we want to support teachers, right? We don't want districts to continue to sweep critically needed classroom resources. And one of the things that people in the, uh, in Arizona just generally don't understand is the autonomy of the school districts. And um, I'm, again, not good or bad, just the way it is that uh, money is allocated in the state budget that goes – it's allocated to the districts. But then the districts have complete autonomy in how that money is spent. And so um, when in 2018 the governor, former governor, Ducey, was asked to give – actually, they demanded a 20 percent pay rate. Governor Ducey went to the state legislature first and then other uh, education leaders, and they came out and said, we're going to get it for you. We've got 20% over three years is going to be the raise for Arizona school teachers. Now, that didn't guarantee that the teachers got the raises because all of that money, which equaled a 20% raise, was given to every district in the state of Arizona. Not all districts gave their teachers the full 20%. That's the discretion of the school districts. I'm not calling it good or bad, but a lot of people... People don't understand that there's not a lot of oversight. And what Senator Hoffman is talking about is financial accountability. I am in favor of this. He talks about the state level. I want you to hear about transparency. He compared school districts with the state. The state of Arizona has figured out how to do it. We actually have a a really easy-to-use interface where you can see nearly in real time every dollar that the state of Arizona is spending um, so that taxpayers have some accountability and can watch over to make sure that the state's not spending money on terrible ideas or wasteful spending. 
spending. If we can do it at the state level, I'm sure that each of these local school districts can do it. It's just a matter of will. And so this is what they're asking for, that before they agree to supersede the will of the voters, and that's how they put it, by overriding this expenditure limit, that they want some of these changes made. What that means is they have said as a body unanimously they will not vote, and you're going to need their votes. They will not vote in the House or the Senate to override this expenditure limit, which totals about $1.2 billion in this year's budget. They will not vote to override it until they get significant changes that they believe will be better for education. The changes he described this morning to me, and I hope you'll go back and listen to the full interview, were n- did not seem out of line. That here in the state of Arizona, I have been preaching about this forever. I love teachers. I absolutely do. I've been asked again at a school to go for read across America when it happens. I jump at this chance to do it anytime I can. I think the world of teachers, I honestly do. What I don't like is the politics of education. And when you've taken your eye off the ball, when you have lost focus on the core and the core of what education is, is to teach children to read and teach children to write and math skills, uh, all of these things are necessary for the net, whatever education they have the rest of their lives. And we are not doing a very good job of this. So if we're not going to do a good job of this, what we need to do is readjust and make sure that the school districts are doing the right thing. I certainly don't think, I really, I don't think that they're asking for anything out of line. Whether or not this happens quickly, we'll see. We're going to keep in touch with the senator. Please go listen to that interview and the one I did with Steve Hooper uh, on the podcast. Uh, You hear the music. It means we're just about out of time. You can find me on Twitter at BroomheadKTAR. That's my personal Twitter handle. uh, At BroomheadShow. Update you on the things that are happening on the show. Please follow both. And if you want to find me on Instagram, it's Mike Broomhead, all one word. Would love to stay in touch between shows. We'll be back tomorrow morning as we do each Monday through Friday at about 8 o'clock. Hope you can join us then. Thanks for being here today. Have a great day. God bless.